0: Um, hey, if you don't have a Bible, there's a table right back here, and if you want to grab one, you're welcome to. Um, I forgot to mention, we have a knitting thing over here. I think there's still some things going on over there. Some knitting projects. So if you'd like to knit by chance, uh, our hope is to give all those away when they're done. Have we finished any yet? We have. Okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> I don't knit. So I think I called them needles one time. Is that what they're called? Ne- no? Knitting needles? Is that what they are? Okay. I'm going to move on to something I know a little bit more about, which is the Bible. So, um, okay. (laughs) How's it going, Ben? Great. Did you think that was pretty funny? Okay, great. Um, All right. We're in a series called Glimpse. We're in week two. And uh, I'm I'm going to move this so I can see your pretty faces over there. Um, Week two of a series called Glimpse. And uh, the idea is we're, we're studying the parables And the hope is, the idea is, in John chapter 14, Jesus answers Peter, and the question is, uh, you know, show us who you are, what do you look like, or show us what the Father looks like. And Jesus responds and he says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So the idea is that when we see Jesus, we see God. So Jesus comes not only to die on a cross and to do something that we can't do for ourselves salvifically, but he also comes to give us a picture or a glimpse of who this God is. We have all kinds of texts and and people have written all kinds of things about God. But when Jesus shows up, we get in its fullest form a version or a picture of or a glimpse of who this God is that Jesus represents. So when Jesus speaks, when he says something, when he tells a story I think that we have a window into, I think that there's a a crack in the, in the, the vortex of the universe and we get a glimpse of who God is. And so as Jesus tells a parable and as we understand it, as we interpret it, my hope would be that we begin to see the things that grow in the heart of God. That we begin to see God in maybe a new way that we haven't seen him before. That we begin to get a glimpse of this God that Jesus comes to represent, that he shows us. And so last week, we talked about just a couple of things as like the purpose of this series. Why would we be doing this? And my hope would be uh, a couple of things. One, I hope that this challenges our understanding of scripture and how we read it. And last week, I think I may have rattled uh, a few cages, and we're going to get to that in a few moments but um, that was intentional, and I hope that you're okay. I hope you didn't like, you know, do anything crazy this week. But uh, I want to challenge the way we think about Scripture because I think it's really important. I hope that we uncover the Jesus behind the parables, and we'll do a little bit more work on this today. The Jesus behind the parables. Is it possible that the parables that we get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and they're quoting or they're telling a story. They're using source material that Jesus spoke and there's actually maybe some different things going on there that Jesus—that wasn't going on in its original context. Is it possible to get behind the parables to the Jesus who told them? And I hope that we can and I think that we can. And I think when we do that maybe... It may even offer a glimpse of Jesus that we haven't seen before. So that's kind of why we're doing this. And I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray uh, as we jump in here. And I'm going to... Uh, this is a prayer that I prayed last week because it's uh, kind of gotten a hold of my heart. It was written by a guy named Origen in uh, this, the third century. And he says this. So if you would pray with me. Lord, inspire us to read your scriptures and to meditate upon them day and night. We beg you to give us real understanding of what we need, that we may in turn put its precepts into practice. Yet we know that understanding and good intentions are worthless unless they're rooted in your graceful love. And so we ask that the words of scripture may also be not just signs on a page, but channels of grace into our hearts. We pray in the power of the Spirit and by Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you weren't here last week, uh, I uh, I apologize because what we're going to do is is we're not backtracking, but we're not going forward yet. Uh, My plan was when we did this series was to study another parable, and I I actually read this week, and I'm ready to do the rich man and Lazarus, but we're actually not going to do that today. We may get to reading it depending on how things go here. But I felt like after last week, we needed to back up just a little bit. And so if you podcast or if you're interested, this isn't a, a, a commercial to go you know, listen to my podcast because I don't get any kickback from that. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, to all you podcasts, all you pod rationers out there... Um, but it might it might help make sense of what's about to happen today. So here's what I want to do today. I want to I talk about a couple of things. I want to remind us about some really important distinctions when we study Scripture. So when we open up the Scriptures and we study them and we attempt to learn something from them, when we read them, when we're together and we do that, what's actually going on? Like, what is the nature of the study of Scripture? And is there in any way that we come to scripture with some preconceived ideas, some preconceived notions that may not actually help us, and may actually add to the uncomfortab- uncomfortableness, I, can't, I don't even know, the the, the the feeling that you may have felt last week, that you were uncomfortable, uh, how can we, is there something about the nature of the study of scripture that actually gets at what you may have felt last week. And then I want to clear up just maybe some questions because even right after we were done, some people came up to me afterwards and they're like, okay, seriously, interesting, very interesting, but what about this? Did anyone have that thought last week after, after we talked? Like, okay, that's interesting, Micah, but can you answer me this question? I know a couple of you came to me and you're not raising your hands, so you're liars. And we are at church, so that's cool, whatever. Um, I look really dumb now, but if that makes you feel better, that's cool. Uh, No, I'm kidding. So here's what I want to do first. Um, I want to take off my prophet hat, and I'd like to put on my pastor hat. Uh, Sometimes the person who has this role in communities uh, often speaks as a prophet, where they they rattle cages and they speak things that maybe are a little uncomfortable to listen to or hear. Um, And and, and I don't want to do that again two weeks in a row because I sensed a little unsettledness uh, last week. And so what I want to do is I want to try to shepherd and, and move into this conversation as a pastor. And I, and I want to say this. I want you guys to know that, um, and it's ironic that I say this because I had an experience where a person who said this, and it's not my favorite person in the world, but what they said was really, really valuable. My affection for you has grown immensely. Um, we planted this church a year ago. We started July of last year, and it's been 365 plus days and uh, 12 months and, and so on and so forth. And so forth. And my affection for you as a community, like my love for you, this was an idea, but now it's reality, and so uh, my love for you has grown incredibly this last year, and I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to do what I do and to do it with you. And what I want for you as your pastor, what I want for you is to experience the life of God here and now. I want you to have an experience if you haven't had one yet, and I want you to have experiences where you are transformed into different kinds of people. So what I want you to experience week in and week out is, we gather, and, and as a result of you being a part of this community, it's my hope and prayer that you're transformed, that you become a different person, that you have a hope that maybe you didn't have before, and that, you're, that this becomes a catalyst for the way you live your life. So when you leave here, and you go to work, and you go to school, or you go home, or you do whatever it is you do, that what we do here is a catalyst for you living differently in the world. That's what I want for you. When we gather on Sunday mornings, it's really important for you and for for me, for us to understand what's happening, why we're doing it, and how it fits into the context of, of the rest of our life as a community. What happens here on Sunday morning is really, really important. Ben talked about a scripture that I think it's in Hebrews. It says, do not forsake the gathering the gathering of each other. Don't forsake getting together because it's really important when we do this, when we gather and we sing together and we, we do something that we can't do alone when we gather, and that's really important. But it's important that you understand this in the larger context of Awaken because this is only one part of what we do. We talk about it, different environments at Awaken. This is one of three. So when we gather on Sunday morning, life groups would be another uh, environment, and serving together would be another environment. And these three things are kind of where we've put all of our chips. This is how we do life together. This is where we've invest time and energy. So this is only one part of three, if that makes sense. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where oftentimes this is it. This is when you talk about church. This is what people think of, and this is what people experience Sunday morning, church. That's it. And I got to be honest with you if that's the case, then what happens here, I believe, will be incomplete and and will not be as effective, will not be as influential, will not be as uh, encouraging or fill in the blank as it could be because this is part of a process. What I'm doing, what, what, what happens when someone teaches here is the beginning of a sentence. It is not the end of a sentence. Sometimes I think when we, when we talk about what happens at church and when, when a preacher preaches or a teacher teaches, we look at it as the, the end of a sentence, right? It's, it's the exclamation point or it's the punctuation point. It's the, it's the last word. And we view that very, very differently here. Because what I hope to do is begin a conversation, And what I'm doing is not the last word, but it's actually, I hope it's the first word. And so if you don't, and and here's where this connects. If you don't have a place where you can take what happens here to another venue or another realm or another atmosphere where you're you're talking with people, where you can debate, where you can dialogue, where you can question, where you can doubt, where you can say, I think that guy's full of baloney, where you can do any of those things. If you don't have that place, then this will be an anemic version of spirituality, and that is not what we're after. Now, at the risk of sounding like a commercial, I want to highlight the fact that life groups are absolutely vital. If you have not been a part of a life group yet, uh, maybe you came this summer and we kind of take summer and, and pause, hit pause on life groups, we're going to be relaunching those in the fall. Can I encourage you as your pastor, if you are not involved in a life group, to do that. What does that look like for you? Uh, who, would it be, who would you be involved in? Lots of questions surrounding that. I get it. But would you, would you consider the possibility of taking that risk? And we'll have sign-ups and we'll talk about that more later. But life groups are critical in this process. When we gather together in the midst of corporately saying we believe these things and we love, we love God for these reasons and this is what's going on in our lives, we're trying to begin a conversation, not end a conversation, which leads me to the nature of the study of Scripture. So when we study Scripture, when this happens here, let me. Maybe you could say it this way. First and foremost, our study of Scripture is not propositional; it's relational. When we study the Bible, first and foremost, it's a relational task. It's not, first and foremost, propositional. Maybe you could say it this way. Or, or, or uh, right and wrong are not the primary focus of our study of Scripture. So to get the right answer or to get the right interpretation or to get the right whatever is not the primary focus of what we do when we study the scriptures. It's not propositional in that sense. What we're not after is truth as it, you know, the only thing that that could have meant in its original context, and that's what we're after. And anything less than that, we miss the mark. And ironically enough, in Greek, the definition for sin is to miss the mark, okay? That's not what's happening when we study scripture, Primarily. Propositions are important. Truth is important. What Jesus said when he said it is important. But here's the distinction. When we study scripture, what we're after, the primary focus of it is a relational task. What we're after is God. Because God chooses to reveal himself through the scriptures, through other ways, through the spirit at work in the world, through you and me, through uh, the witness of the church and those who have gone before us, through a lot of different ways, but this is a primary vehicle that God has chosen to reveal himself to us, through. So when we study this, what we're after is not the words on the page, this is two-dimensional, it's black and white. What we're after is the God behind the scriptures, the God who's revealing himself to us through the scriptures. So right and wrong, I'm not a relativist. I'm not saying that's not important, okay? We live in a postmodern culture. That doesn't mean all of postmodernity is great. Right and wrong is not the primary focus of scripture when we study it. It's a relational task. And what we're after is the God who's behind the scriptures and a, a knowledge of him, an experience of him. And I believe God has done this all through the story, I think God honors our heart and God honors our intentions. He honors our desire and what we want. He has from the beginning and I think he still does. And so when we come to scripture, here's where this makes sense for us. As we studied last week, we came to a really difficult text and I offered a very, very different interpretation of that text. And a lot of people came to me last week and said, "Jeez, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like I would have never thought of that. Or, or here's one. How on earth do I have any chance of getting the right answer if I don't know Hebrew, if I wasn't born in the first century, if I don't know Jewish culture? And i got to be perfectly honest with you. You don't have any chance. (laughs) How's that for encouraging? You don't have a chance. I don't have a chance. I mean, think about it, really. It's 2,000 years old. We don't speak Hebrew, most of us, I'm guessing. Uh, Totally different time and culture. I mean, just chasm upon chasm upon chasm separates the original author the original speaker from you and i and so if what we're after is right or wrong it will be a depressing cycle of i don't know i can't get it i don't know i don't know i'm depressed and that for me is just not what i'm looking for in a, in, in, in spirituality and in christianity and i don't think that's what we're after so do you see the distinction that I'm trying to point out here and how important this is? When we study the scripture, we may come to very different we may come to varying different opinions on a particular text. That's okay. I believe it's absolutely possible that God in his godness could speak, could reveal himself to you through both. Right? It doesn't have to be either or. Now, there's a realm of possibilities, right, that we can probably get close to based on what we know of context and culture and all of those things. So not anything goes. I mean, you read the parable uh, that we read last week and you, you, you determined that that means that um, Republicans are right, Democrats are wrong, America is the best, planet on, uh, best country on the planet, and, um, and whatever else, that's how you interpret that text, Right? And what I'm saying is it could be both. No, no, don't be silly, all right? But there's a realm of possibilities, and within that realm of possibilities, I think that there are different things that Scripture, that God could be doing and saying through whatever he's saying in, t- in the text. So intelligent study is important, right? Uh, being learners, and here's what I want from you guys. Here's what I want, not from you, but here's what I want for you. It's my hope and my prayer. I've probably had more schooling than the majority of people in here as it relates to theology. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have hours upon hours upon hours in a week to study, to read, to find the texts that say, hey, you might want to think about it this way, to learn the languages and try to understand what did that mean in its original context? That's why I'm here doing what I'm doing, and I find it an honor and a privilege. It is an absolute honor for me to do this. And I hope that it's a gift to this community because we want to all be offering the gifts that we have to the community. But what I don't want is for you to always eat from my hand. If we get into this five years from now and you're no more of a biblical scholar, no more astute on biblical matters than you were when you started, I have failed. We have failed each other. My hope is that you become a learner my hope is that you see some of the different principles that we're using to get to or to read a text and you begin to do it yourself. When you get together in life groups, you ask the questions that we're asking. You learn to ask the right questions. Man, that makes a whole difference. That makes all the difference in the world if you can ask the right questions. So my hope is that as we do this together that you become learners and that you become people who are astute and you're growing in your ability to understand and read the scriptures. Because if you're always coming here expecting to learn something from me, I got a bad I got bad news for you. I'm probably going to let you down because I'm not that smart and I'm not that good. Period end. Now. That to say, we read a text last week from Matthew chapter 20. And there's one particular question that I think a lot of people were asking. So if you would, turn into scriptures to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to read this parable again. And I'm not going to go through the whole, the whole deal again of how we looked at it last week. Again, uh, the wonders of technology podcast, that'd be. But let me read the parable, and then I think I, I want to just offer a few thoughts on, on the, the most common question that I've received from last week. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire men and pay them a denarius for the day. He sent them into his vineyard, Matthew 20. About the third hour he went out and saw the others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you will also go to work in my vineyard. I will pay you whatever is right, and so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and about the ninth hour and did the same thing. And the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day do all day long doing nothing, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each came, uh, each received a denarius. And so when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last, you have made them equal to us, and who have bore, we who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. And Buddy answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want you to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do with do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. In a nutshell, we looked at this from a cultural perspective, and this is all about the people in, in the story, the landowner who, who, who in that culture is uh, uh, wealthy, has tons of money, the servants, and, and the, the, the expendable day laborers. And this was about Jesus basically exploiting and, and exposing the landowners for the oppression that they're causing on the people who didn't receive uh, or, or, or got paid all the same wage. The question is, if that's what it's about, if that's even close to what Jesus meant, then why does Matthew begin with, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? I mean, if that's what the parable is about, it's about oppression, it's about these people oppressing these people, and Jesus kind of opening that up and bringing these people together in a social context where they would have never been together. If that's what it's about, then why does Matthew say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like? Because quite frankly, if that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, then I don't want anything to do with it. You know, a, a, a sort of despondent God who does this, that's ridiculous. So we have some work to do. I want to offer three possibilities as to why Matthew might do this. Number one, from Jesus to Matthew is a gap. When Matthew tells the story, he's using Jesus' original material. And very often in scripture, we find somebody using the original material or an original word or an original concept in a very different way than the original person did. Paul does this in Romans chapter 1. He says, I am Paul, a bondservant. The word bondservant is doulos in Greek. It's literally somebody who was an abject slave. They, they gave themselves to whoever it is they were serving. Right? So he's using a cultural term, but he reinterprets it, and he invests it, he infuses it with new meaning. I said invest last week, and Laura's like, I don't think you can say he invested it. So he infuses it with new meaning... And he does something very different with the word. Peter does this in Acts chapter 4. On Roman coins you would find words like salvation is to be found in none other than Augustus. You would find things like Caesar is Lord. You would find things like uh, there is no other name given to men by which they can be saved. This was on Roman coins and it was actually talking about Caesar Augustus. Peter in Acts chapter four, says this: "He is the stone you builders, you the builders rejected, which has become the capstone." Now listen, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved." You see what Peter just did there. He took a common phrase that was used that everybody knew what it meant, and he just hijacks it, and he gives it totally new meaning. So from Matthew to Jesus, it's possible that Matthew is writing to a totally different audience, and he's doing something very different than what Jesus was doing when he told the parable. That's an absolute possibility, and we have all kinds of textual um, uh, examples of that to say this is possible. Um, Punctuation and placement. Did you know in Greek there's no punctuation? So if you look in your Bibles... At the beginning of that text, it probably says the parable of the merciful whatever, or the parable of the unforgiving somebody, or the parable of the so on and so forth. That's not in the original text. There's no grammatical distinction between the phrase before it and the phrase that we would call the beginning of the parable. Matthew opens his parables about half the time with the kingdom of heaven is like, or the actual actual phrase is, for this the kingdom of heaven is likened unto man. So it's very possible grammatically, that we could attribute for this is the kingdom of heaven is likened unto man to the previous thought and not the beginning of the parable. For example, in Matthew 18, I think we have a, a version of this. Can you flip that one up there for me? Matthew 18:22 ends a thought in your Bible, and Matthew 18:23 begins a thought. And for the kingdom of heaven is likened unto man is attributed to 23 in our text, it's, it's absolutely possible, and it makes grammatical and literary sense, for that phrase to be with the above statement. Jesus said to him, "Not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times seven times. For this the kingdom of heaven is likened unto man. New thought." And he begins a parable. Does that make sense? So it's very possible in Matthew's version in chapter 20 that reread, and it makes sense there as well. Uh, he says, "But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first, for the kingdom of heaven is likened unto man." New thought he tells a story about a landowner, not necessarily connected to the thought previous, absolutely within the realm of possibilities. Lastly, I would say contrast and expectations. Have you ever told a story and you, you use contrast or you use opposites to be, to make your point, where you basically you do the opposite of what you want people to get? so I think it 's possible, and I, and I looked and looked and looked, and i didn 't find a lot of evidence for this, and so i 'll throw it out there with, as something that doesn 't have a lot of evidence but I think it's possible that Jesus, Matthew, tells this story and he says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a God. It's like a landowner who oppresses people. He takes their land and then he oppresses them and he doesn't pay them what they're worth and he, he shames them by not paying them what they're worth and he pays them backwards and gives all these things and it's all the things that the people who would have listened would have said that is absolutely not what the kingdom of heaven is like and now I've got you interested, right, as a, as a teaching device. And I think that's a possibility I think the first two have more credibility. So, my friends, here's what we're going to do. This morning, I want to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to take the last 10, 15 minutes of our time, and we're going to do something very different. And it's not necessarily connected to parables or anything that I've just told you. Be forewarned, I don't want you to get whiplash. But the things that we've talked about, I think, are really important, you know, in general. But as we move forward, next week we're going to tackle the rich man and Lazarus. I would encourage you, read it this week. And just start asking questions. Things that, you've, that, that, that maybe come to mind in light of some of the things that we've talked about. Why this? Why that? Who's that? Who's this? Who's that? What does this mean? And we'll study that next week. As we close today, many of you know, uh, if you've read the news or you've been paying attention, that there is a massive famine in Africa. Massive. Uh, if you remember 25, 30 years ago, there was a famine in Ethiopia that uh, if you go back and you look on the internets and you say famine in Ethiopia, you'll find um, unbelievable, literally unbelievable pictures. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people died. And a friend of mine emailed me this week and just said, hey, pastors, would you be willing to, um, to recognize this? Would you be willing to acknowledge that this is happening? Uh, I heard a quote that said, "When one person dies, it's a tragedy. When thousands of people die, it's a statistic." How many of you have seen *Hotel Rwanda* before? There's a scene in that movie where they're ta- where they're, there's a they're in the hotel and there's a group of people eating dinner and uh, there's some interaction and somebody they're watching this this genocide happen on the on the news and basically the guy says. Uh, you know, people in America, they'll watch this on the news and they'll, they'll say, oh my gosh, that's terrible, that's tragic. And then they'll go back to eating their dinner. And so I want to just, uh, in the spirit of making us a little uncomfortable, I want us to, uh, for a moment, as a church, as a community, to enter into this and recognize that there are thousands of people who are dying right now. Uh, and these are brothers and sisters, many of them, uh, who follow Jesus uh, because of famine. Um, and so what I want to do this morning, there's, uh, this is a huge thing and I think it's overwhelming and I think it has the potential to just kind of debilitate us where we do nothing, literally nothing. Like we don't even think about it because it's hard to think about and it's uncomfortable and if I think about it then I have to do something. I want us to lean into that this morning and we're going to spend some time in prayer. What can we do? Uh, you could certainly give. Uh, UNICEF is, is right in the middle of this thing. And if you're interested in giving money, if you have the ability to do that, I would encourage you to do that. Um, but we can, um, in solidarity, kind of unite our hearts with uh, our brothers and sisters and, maybe, and, and even those who don't know Jesus but who are human, uh, who were made in the image of God and who, um, because of whatever circumstances, are, don't have enough to eat. And so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take the last few minutes of our time together, and I'm going to ask you to pray. Um, if you want to pray on the post-its, fine. If you want to just pray silently, um, but I'm going to ask you to do that. Um, related to that, we've been in this thing called One Thing at Awaken, and uh, we've been doing the, the community garden, and we met yesterday as a leadership team, and we just got this kind of frustrated angst, like we've, we want more clarity from God as to what's next. And uh, so as a leadership team, we have agreed to fast in some way, shape, or form, either from food or something else, uh, once a week for the next month. To say, God, we want you to speak, we want you to be clear, we want you to direct us and give us wisdom. And uh, somebody said, why don't we invite Awaken to do that with us? And I said, that's a great question. And so um, for the next month, for the month of August, uh, once a week, whatever day it works out for you, if you'd like to do this with us, We're going to fast for a day, and uh, whatever that looks like, if you want to fast from food, from media, from TV, from books, from whatever, uh, and just to say, God, would you speak to us during this time and lead us and be clear. So I want to invite you into that. Um, So for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask Ben to come, and he's just going to play, like, super, super chill. Um, And I'm going to ask you, uh, kids, if you're here, um, be here. It's okay. Parents, chill out, okay? It's okay if they make noise. It's okay if they goof around kids, but I want to invite you to pray with us. Um, and there are some pictures up here on the table um, that Courtney printed out for us. And uh, these are people from Somalia and Sudan and um, I think, uh, I can't remember the other, there are four major countries that are being affected by this and they're slipping my mind right now. But there are pictures of, of some people from that those places. And so if it would help you to have a picture on your table um, to see this, the face of somebody, uh, then Grab one of these pictures, uh, and again, I invite you to post things on the the wall here if you want to, but for the next few minutes, uh, I'm just going to create some space, and it's going to be chill and quiet, and I want to invite you to pray uh, with us and for the people who are suffering in Africa.